But that's not what the English word kind of meant in former days, and it's not what it meant in the Greek New Testament. The word comfort speaks of help, support, consolation. So God not only wants to ease your pain, but he wants to encourage your further spiritual growth and service. Do you see the difference? So, in other words, God, when we hear this word comfort in the passage, it is a both and. God coming up and putting his arm around you to ease your pain, but he is also putting a, a hand on your back and moving you forward. Does that make sense? Because if you're just thinking a big lounge chair, and that's what God is here to do, that's not what the word means. It means support, encouragement, and strengthening. Amen? Okay. So the first part of the passage is God, Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction. So the word bless means to praise, which is what we were just doing, right? We were just doing that. We're praising God. And we find that word often in the Old Testament Psalms. And Paul begins Ephesians talking about blessed be God. And 1 Peter says the same thing. So here, Paul praises God, the Father of mercies. In other words, God is the source of every mercy. And He is an endless supply of mercy. Lamentations 3.22-23 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. God gives mercy every day. And God is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction. And so, friends, that is the reason that God, excuse me, Paul blesses God. There are a lot of reasons that Paul could praise God here, but he focuses in on the fact that God, he blesses God because he comforts us in all our affliction. Certainly, Paul was a man who knew affliction. Most of us will never experience anything even close to what Paul went through. Later in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, if you want to turn over there with me so you can see it yourself, in verses 24 to 28, Paul details these afflictions that he went through. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 to 28. says there, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So did Paul know affliction? I think we can safely say he did. That list is staggering. Staggering. Just the first item on the list. We won't go through Just the first item. Forty lashes less one. You say, what was that? Well, that was the standard punishment among the Jews of the time when they would take a whip and they would lash you on your exposed back 
39 times. Can you imagine how badly that would hurt? Your back would be bloody. It would be broken. It would be swollen. It would be sore. The skin would be broken. Paul would be sore for a long time after that lashing. And he went through that five times. Each successive time, those scars would take, they would open up and they would just take longer and longer to heal. That's just one thing he puts down there. Moreover, Paul's afflictions weren't just in the past. They had continued to the present. Go back to our passage and then skip down to verses 8 and 9. Paul says these words, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. So Paul thought he was about to die. He doesn't even explain what he went through, and and there's really no way to know what happened. But regardless, Paul was literally on death's doorstep, but God spared him. So in the midst of all these trials, past and present, what does Paul do? He blesses God because he is a God who comforts us in all our afflictions. Now let me point out that word affliction is a catch-all word for hardships. It refers to outward affliction and inward affliction. We've just read about a lot of these outward afflictions that Paul went through. But it also refers to inward afflictions. Our spiritual anguish, our fear, our disappointment, our sense of betrayal, our sadness, our grief, and so on. For example, 2 Corinthians 2.4, Paul says, For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Inward affliction. He puts both of these ideas together in 2 Corinthians 7, 5 when he says, For when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. So Paul knew great affliction. He was a man who was deeply scarred physically and spiritually. Yet he knew God's comfort in all of those afflictions. So friend, there is no affliction that God cannot comfort you in. You might wonder, well, how does God comfort us? Well, as I thought about it this week, some things came to mind. Through his word and through prayer, here's some things that I think happen. God reminds us of what he did for us on the cross. Making us right with our creator. Or God reminds us of the future when all of these afflictions are taken away. And we reside with him in glory forever in resurrected bodies. Or God points out your own sin. Because you have not handled this affliction very well. And maybe you've grumbled and complained against God. And so you need to be cleansed and you need to be right with God and renewed in your perspective of God. That brings comfort. 
Or God gives you wisdom to deal with the affliction you're going through better or to avoid it in the future. You know, there's some things we don't have to go through over and over again. God actually wants to give you wisdom so you will avoid those things. Or sometimes God delivers you out of affliction. He's just merciful and he'll just pluck you out of that affliction because he wants to. And we pray, we raise a hallelujah in those times, right? Sometimes God gives you the grace to endure the affliction. As Paul will say later in 2 Corinthians, the thorn in the flesh, and God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Or sometimes, through prayer and through his word, God just simply reminds you, I am God. I am God. And you're not. And sometimes, friend, that is what we need most of all. Yes, the affliction is still there. Yes, the affliction is significant and might weigh on our hearts. But what we need is a new perspective of who God is and who we are. That can be the greatest thing that goes on in our lives. And church, we also need to remember that God has given the Holy Spirit to indwell us. Amen? And what is Jesus called the Holy Spirit? The Comforter. Don't you like that? It's actually the same, from the same Greek root there. Comfort. He is the comforter. And so the Holy Spirit applies comfort to His people. There's nothing like this, friend. There's nothing like this. I love what the great Scottish pastor, Robert Murray McShane, said, quote, There is greater rest and solace to be found in the presence of God for one hour than in an eternity of the presence of man. I believe that with all my heart. Isaiah 66, 13 says, where God says, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. What a beautiful image of a mother comforting her child. God doing the same thing to his child. Just coming up and wrapping his arms around you. Church, do not look to other things to give you that comfort. Certainly don't look to vices like pornography or drugs or excessive alcohol. But I would say don't even look to other things that aren't necessarily vices like, say, food and entertainment to provide that ultimate source of comfort. Now hear me out. I'm not saying it's wrong to go have that bowl of Briar's Rocky Road on a bad day or something. I'm not saying that's a sin. But what I am saying is that we shouldn't look to that for our ultimate source of comfort. Because all of those other things, all of that comfort they provide is temporary. They don't deal with the real heart and soul of what is going on. Look to God and expect Him. Yes, I said it. Expect Him to comfort you regardless of how severe the affliction may be. There may not be complete comfort in this life, but God will give you comfort. That is a promise of Scripture. He is the God of what? All comfort. You will experience comfort, and when you do, you will be like Paul and being at the place where you can praise God, you can bless God because He is the God of all comfort. 
So now we come to our second point. God comforts us so that we can comfort others. God comforts us so that we can comfort others. So let's, let's pick up in verse 5. It says, where God comforts us in all our affliction, quote, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So pay attention to this. The reason we praise God is because he comforts us in all of our affliction. The reason God comforts us is so that we, though, we then go comfort others. Did you get that? We praise God because he comforts us, but the reason he comforts us is so that we can then go comfort others. God wants us to take that comfort that he has put into our hearts and then go be a blessing to someone else who is also going through affliction. You say, well, what would that look like in real life? Well, here's a couple of examples. Perhaps you have a child who does not know the Lord, a prodigal. Parents will testify how this grieves your soul. Amen? I know before all three of our children trusted Christ, it was just a daily weight on my heart. A daily weight that doesn't go away. And so, you see how this grieves your heart. But God can comfort you as you go through this in a variety of ways. You can pray that that child will start making better choices, and it's a source of comfort to see them doing things that are getting them out of the muck, right? Or you can pray to lead them to salvation, and sometimes it happens, and so you rejoice and you have great comfort. Or you know what we can also do? We can confess to the Lord how we have fallen short as parents, and yes, we all have fallen short and resolve to live in a more godly fashion before our children. And you know what it does? It actually comforts your relationship with God. It does. And so then when God comforts you, you can put your arm around someone else who is going through the difficulty, the affliction of having a prodigal. Another situation might be a Christian who suffers affliction because of their newfound faith in Christ. They're going through persecution, which they didn't have before. Maybe someone is a young person, and they become a Christian. And all of a sudden, at school, things are a little different, right? Their friends treat them a little differently than before. Or maybe their spouse isn't so happy that they have this newfound faith. And there's conflict in the home about where do we go to church and, and what do we do with our children and so forth. Or maybe now at work, you, you've all of a sudden realized, that, hey, there's some unethical things going on here at the workplace and they expect me to participate in this and I don't want to do this anymore and I'm hearing comments and I might lose my job because of my faith in Christ. You see how that can happen? You go through that affliction. But God can comfort in a variety of ways as you go through those things. Because now you might start digging into the Word and seeing the Word differently and growing in who God is and deepening your faith so that you can have responses to those comments at school or at work. 
Or you might have a stronger love for people because you realize that if it were not for the grace of God, you'd be doing the same things that you used to do. Amen? And so your heart expands. God comforts you. And so when He does, then you can comfort somebody else who's going through persecution. Do you see how that works? With all these different afflictions, once you have experienced comfort, Here's the thing. Now you have a whole new level of compassion, don't you? To give to somebody else. Because you're not talking in theory anymore. You've lived it yourself, right? And so when you can give comfort to somebody else, it takes on a whole new level of power and impact. And just as a footnote, giving comfort to others, I truly believe, helps you to heal further. There is just something about coming alongside someone else and comforting them that really deepens your own comfort and growth as well. So friends, this means that there is no meaningless affliction in your life. Do you realize that? Satan wants you to think so. He wants you to think you're isolated. You're the only one who's going through this, and you should be ashamed that you're going through this. And he wants you to put aside that comfort that God has given to you, and he wants you to keep it all to yourself. But God wants us to take that comfort and to pass it on to others so that we do not waste it. We will not waste the comfort that he has given to us. I don't know why, but what came to my mind this past week was one of the lasting images of the 1991 Persian Gulf War. You guys remember the the Kuwaiti oil fires? For some of us, a little bit older. Anyone remember that? Remember how Iraq invaded Kuwait? And then when they were fleeing, the Iraqis set fire to 610 oil wells. 85% of the oil wells in the nation of Kuwait were set on fire and it just set off this huge disaster of oil and heat and smoke all through the air. The Iraqis thought that it would slow down the advancing allied armies. And that oil just burned and burned. It took 10 months to put all the fires out. These fires caused incredible environmental damage and health problems. But in addition, you know what it also was? It was an incredible waste of resources. It is estimated that one billion barrels of oil were lost. I said billion, not million. Just to give you perspective, the United States, and we all know how much oil we consume, we consume 7.5 billion barrels a year. So 1 billion barrels were lost for good. Let us not do the same with that precious resource of God's comfort. He has embedded it in our hearts and He wants it to be used to bless others. So church, if you have experienced the comfort of God, do not waste it, but use it for the benefit of others. I realize that what I say might be dealing with something that you are embarrassed about or that you don't like to talk about. Maybe you've never told anybody. 
And to be clear, I'm not asking anyone to broadcast hard, painful events just because I've told you to do so. But what I'm asking you to do is to prayerfully immerse yourself in the life of our church where you deeply get to know people and then to pray about how God can use you, yes you, little old you, to comfort others. If God makes you aware of opportunities, you do something about them. You seek them out. You don't wait for someone to call you up or email you. You do something about them. I was thinking about how, you know, support groups like Alcoholics Anonymous, how they often outdo the church. You know why? Because they don't hide their affliction like we do. They lack divine resources, but just by sheer transparency and effort, they see more results sometimes. Church, the remedy to all of our afflictions is present in this room right now. The remedy to all our afflictions are present in this room right now. Because in this room right now is the God of all comfort, and we have the comfort of each other. Amen? So we are to comfort one another once we have been comforted. Now we come to the third and last point. God comforts us through our union with Christ. And here Paul elaborates on his view of suffering. And as usual, he always connects us to Christ. So he's not just saying God gives comfort in generic fashion, but it's connected to Christ. Verse 5, he says, For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Paul often does this, doesn't he? He speaks of believers being in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Theologians call this our union with Christ. You say, what is that? What he's talking about there is that we have an indivisible relationship with Christ that began before the world ever began and will go for the rest of eternity. Meaning that Christ loves us so much that when he died on the cross, he died for our sins, didn't he? And he also gives us his righteousness so that when we do stand before God, he doesn't see our filthy rags, but he sees Christ's righteousness. That sounds pretty good so far, doesn't it? Got a little bit more, though. Part of our union with Christ means that we share in his sufferings. Now, by that, I do not mean that our suffering somehow contributes to what he did on the cross. What Jesus did on the cross was once and final. He paid for our sins. But there is a sense in which we share in his sufferings when we are rejected, experience persecution because of our faith, and just by living in this fallen world that is filled with sin and sorrow, we share in the sufferings of Christ. And so since we are in Christ, we also share in his comfort. What did Paul say there in verse 5? We share abundantly in his sufferings and we also share abundantly in his comfort. Christ is there always to provide comfort. And you know what, friend? Because of his incarnation, he knows exactly what you and I have gone through, doesn't he? And so he shares our afflictions. Therefore, he can share that much more the comfort that we need. And then in verse 6, Paul returns to that point of providing comfort to others. 
He says, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. So in that verse, there's two parts. In the second part there, Paul reiterates that when we experience God's comfort, we pass that comfort on to others. And then in the first part, let me explain a little bit more there. When we are afflicted, it is for the comfort of others. And here Paul is speaking about his service for them. When he is afflicted, it was for their comfort, right? And then he adds that it can lead to their salvation. What does that mean? Well, in the Bible, salvation refers, it has a past, present, and future focus. In the past, we trusted Jesus for salvation. In the present, we are continuing to believe in him for salvation. And then one day when he returns, we will be saved. Salvation is past, present, and future. And so there's this present time when you and I, we need to persevere, don't we? To the end, to the finish line. And so when we are afflicted, we receive comfort from God, and then we comfort others. You know what it does? It can strengthen others who were suffering, because sometimes people go through affliction and they give up on God, don't they? And that is exactly the pressing need of the church to come alongside that, that, that Christian who has fallen on the ground and to come alongside them and to be that comfort to them so that they make it to the finish line. You see why that's so important? We play a part in them making it to the finish line. That's how significant the body is. Then the passage closes with this word of assurance. Paul says in verse 7, Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. So again, you see this reciprocity that was going on between the comforters and the, those who are going through affliction. We share in the sufferings of others so we can comfort them. We seek to comfort them. Likewise, when we receive comfort from God, we too share in that comfort. Now, did you notice that Paul is confident they will receive God's comfort? He was confident in them, wasn't he? That they would receive God's comfort. This is important because it reminds us that the comfort that God offers to each believer is available to all believers. It's not just to elite Christians. This Corinthian church, friends, probably caused Paul to pull his hair out. They gave him a lot of trouble his letters, there's a lot of things that he mentions that were going on in this Corinthian church. But does Paul say, you got to clean up your act and then you can go receive some of God's comforts? Does he say that? No, it's available to all believers. And Satan loves to tempt people to think that somehow God doesn't care about you anymore. Anybody listening to that lie today? God's done with you. You've messed it up. There's no hope for you. That is a lie from Satan himself. Don't fall for it. Do not fall for it. I love the story about the famous Protestant reformer Martin Luther, who, who obviously had a brilliant mind, a fervent heart, fervent love for Christ. But he would go through these deep bouts of discouragement. And his wife, Katerina, watched him struggle. And on this one particular occasion, she, she would try to give him some words of counsel and hope. And he just blew her off and, and had nothing to do with what she had to say. So on this occasion, 
she, co- she goes and puts on a black dress and a veil as if she was going to a funeral. When Martin saw her, he asked her, are, are you going to a funeral? And she responded by saying, no, but since you act like God is dead, I wanted to join you in your mourning. Now, I'm not advising that for all of you out there, but her strategy worked, and he snapped out of it. The God of all comfort wants to give comfort to all his people for all of their affliction so that we can then give comfort to others. Amen? Let me close by speaking to someone here today, perhaps, who has never known the comfort of God as you're sitting here. You have known much affliction, but you haven't known the comfort of God that only He can give. I want you to know that God loves you. He loves you. And He wants to comfort you. But you need to establish a relationship with Him and to do so on His terms. And here's what Scripture tells you to do. To turn from your sin. Scripture calls this repentance. We need to repent from our sin because we realize that sin violates the law of God and it will bring God's judgment. We need to turn from our sin. And we also need to believe in Christ. To believe that He is fully God and fully man. That He lived a sinless life and He died on the cross, not just for the sin of the world in a generic fashion, but for you. So that your sins can be forgiven if you believe in Him. Romans 10.9 promises, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Period. It's about His faithfulness, not your good deeds. Place your faith in Jesus today and know the God of all comfort. Amen? Amen. Let's go to prayer. Lord, we bless you today, the God of all comfort. And Lord, we come to you today and we want to confess where we seek comfort in other ways, or perhaps we have thought that you can't comfort these various afflictions that we go through. Lord, your word says that you are the God of all comfort. Renew and refresh that promise in our heart today. And Lord, also give us a radical desire to help others. That we would be willing to lay down our pride, stretch ourselves, be uncomfortable, and to come alongside those who are struggling. Lord, I pray that you would just galvanize and send out many of us to have future conversations, private conversations with people who are afflicted where we can provide comfort in their lives. And Lord, you've also just been putting it on my heart this morning that we would have regular times here on Sunday morning when someone can stand up and share how you have given them comfort in the midst of an affliction to be an encouragement for the entire church. And Lord Jesus, we praise you for taking our sorrow. You as a man of sorrows took our sorrows. 
and suffered to know You. We thank You that You have said Yourself that You have triumphed. John 16.33, You said, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so we celebrate and praise that here this morning. And it's in Your wonderful name that we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Amen.